This is the Dugout. Weekly interviews with Mariners manager Scott Service. Brought to you by Pizza Hut and by Mazda of Everett. Inside access to the clubhouse from Shannon Dreyer. Every Tuesday at 1 with Bumpin' Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. The home of the Mariners. Welcome to the dugout from 1 to 2. Curtis and I are still here, but now we bring in on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Shannon Dreyer. Shannon, how you doing? Doing well, guys. Thanks. Doing good. Shannon, last night watching that game, did you do what I did and just stand up and smile and shake your head as all the chaos was going down? <laughs> uh, it, it was really something. It all happened so fast. And it, since it's at the end of the game, I've got to make sense of it very fast because I've got to go talk to somebody on the field then talk to the manager and then come up and talk on the postgame show <laughs> about it. And, and, you know, the meantime, get from the press box down to the field. That takes time. You miss things when that's happening. So it was a near state of panic the way that things were happening. And I had Gary and Rick turning around and looking at me. Did that just happen? Yes, that just happened. And it was <laughs> absolute. You thought there was chaos on the field. There was chaos with me trying to figure everything out in such a short amount of time. But uh, what fun. And that just shows you what heads up base running can do, what Sam Haggerty, the pressure that he and others, I mean, one of the most beautiful things that we saw was Sam Haggerty, uh, Dylan Moore, Julio Rodriguez, all on the bases at the same time. And that obviously puts a lot of pressure on the other side. And so that added up to four runs. Shannon, Bump and I have been trying to figure out all day just what it is about the Mariners that makes them so successful in those moments of chaos, with it being chaos ball. What do you think it is that that makes them almost feel like the game is slowed down for them when it speeds up for other teams? They clearly embrace the chaos. And, I mean, it's it's the simplest answer, but they've come back to it time and time again. And even early in the season when they were struggling, but they got a lot out of last year as far as experience in one run games, experience in extra innings games, experience in, you know, creating chaos and believing in the chaos and they thrive in that situation. So I think a lot of it is a, you've got to have the personnel that can do that. You know, these are, and what's really fun about this is I think that I was thinking about it this morning. I think baseball needs more players like Sam Haggerty. I I think that that is something that energizes things late, that these things don't happen if you've got Daniel Vogelback and, and you know, your slower <laughs> people out on the diamond at the time. And, and I think that these players are, are so important to the game and it's not like they're going to slow things down if that is the focus. I think that they bring a lot of action to the game. And so I think that it's all just part of the experience and the belief and having the right players who are uh, – coached up right who are brought up right i mean sam didn't get to the mariners they didn't teach him how to do this this is the player that he has always been dylan moore came to the team knowing that he could steal bases and he that's the player that he's always been but staying on it and emphasizing it i thought one of the interesting things that julio rodriguez said in the clubhouse after was we are always talking about these things And and so I think some of it does come from talent. Some of it does come from experience. And certainly some of it comes from the preparation and the ongoing conversations that they have about that thing. I'll tell you one thing. I do not mind seeing that, especially when it's in our favor. But um, let's talk about um, Ty France and Julio Rodriguez. They both have struggled a little bit. Do you think that is a result of the injuries that they had in the past? They're still trying to find their way through it and, and find their swing? No, I think the swings are just fine. I think that with Julio 
perhaps a little bit of it is trying to get what he's missed those 15 days back a little bit too quickly. And and I I would suspect we will see him turn right back into Julio in the next day or two. And with Ty, while they say there's nothing still up with the wrist, I have to wonder. Um, He has seemed, although very aggressive at the plate, and that is one of the ones, you know, if he connects, it's not going to hurt as much as if he misses with that risk. So that might have something to do with it. But the France is a little bit concerning in that this is, if it's not injury, it's one of the longer streaks uh, that we have seen him have where he has trouble uh, the entire time he has been with a club. And Ty France is about that consistency, about being a 300 hitter. And he has not been for the better part of a month right now. And so if it is the wrist or any of the injuries, that does, I think, explain it better. And if it's not, then maybe you become a little bit more concerned and that, okay, you have to turn around and get back to being Ty France. I asked Scott Service specifically about him yesterday, and he did point out that he is, you know, not swinging at the right pitches in some situations. Uh, He's not swinging at uh, strikes in some situations. Some of the pitches that he should be swinging at are getting by. And he also said that early in the count, particularly, he's been a little bit ultra-aggressive. And so, you know, I think some of it is the approach uh, they say it isn't health, or they don't think that it's health, but I think I would be keeping an eye on that as well. Shannon, there were some odd calls in last night's game. You had the home run that wasn't from Julio, and then you had going in the Mariners' favor, Carlos Santana getting a watch or getting a walk on ball three. Uh, I mean, how does Major League Baseball let that happen in a, in a situation like that? I mean, you've got so many cameras, there's so many scoreboards, there's other umpires on the field. I mean, like it worked out in the Mariners' favor, but that to me is a massive concern if umpires cannot figure out the the simplest of counts. Well, I think the biggest problem is is, and you'll hear Rick Riz always harping on this. It's just the um, inability or or not it being the first move of an umpire to ask for help and there are different situations some things are replayable some things aren't replayable Uh, there are things that an umpire can ask for help basically in any situation but they're not going to do that or they're not doing that every single time and Laz Diaz's comments I don't know. We're, I have not seen. Were the full comments printed out? Have those been made available? I have not seen them. Okay. Well, there was a pool reporter last night, and the quotes that he came back with was Diaz saying there was a lot of action going on at bat. At bat. Um, after the fourth pitch, Santana asked him if he was 3-1, and one, and I said, no, it's 2-2. Two and two. Then I started thinking, maybe it's 3-1 and one because I forgot I called the first pitch a strike. There were so many pitches going on. I lost the count on that first pitch. I knew I called a strike on the steal, and that's the only one I remembered. I couldn't remember the one before that. He quoted, yeah, I messed up on that one. Bat at bat, wild pitch, throw to second base, and the next one was a steal play. So much chaos which is fun that he acknowledged the chaos, but not fun that that he was, you know, admitting that he wasn't sure and that a lot was going on and that he didn't double check. And then he said they could have challenged absolutely. If he would have said something, I would have gotten the crew together. And so then he kind of throws it back on Nevin on the other side. And I think that, you know, that is, I think, a fair indictment on Nevin. Somebody in that dugout has got to be on top of that count. Uh, the entire time. And when all of that was happening, the board read 2-2 in front of all of us. 
And, and so, you know, something definitely was missed in the chaos by the umpire and by the Angels not being on top of what the correct count was. I don't think Santana was actually trying to pull anything. I heard that when Diaz made one of the calls for a ball, he actually did kind of a strike sign as he made the call, which furthered the confusion right there. But uh, it was just spectacular to see that Carlos just turned around and went, no, 3-1, and talked Diaz into that pretty quickly. At any time, Diaz could have gone to his fellow umpires to check the count, could have turned around and asked the scorekeeper for the count. And at any time, Nevin could have said, hey, can we just stop and you know take a breath and get this right right now? And they didn't. So I don't think it's so much Major League Baseball allowing it to happen as uh, somebody's got to be on that. You know, mistakes do get made. It is a human behind the plate right now. Uh, I do think, again, that it was spectacular how quickly he changed his mind. But I think that you need kind of a culture where the umpires can ask for that help on their own a little bit more easily. And then you've also you've got to be on it in the other dugout, too. Santana must have that uh, that Michael Jordan effect on umps where you just look at him a certain way. Are you sure about that call? And they change their mind. Are you sure about it? Hey, Shannon, uh, last night, Luis Castillo played excellent. You know, there are times, I guess, at the beginning of the game where his command was uh, in question a little bit, but he found a way to grind it out. A different type of win from Luis Castillo. We used to just dominate performances. Still a great day, right? Six innings, six hits, nine Ks. What did you see out of Luis Castillo last night? Uh, absolutely. And it's, you know, no pitcher is going to have that, that ace like start every single time they go out. And, and what differentiates the number one or the ace type is what he does in those other starts. And this was one of those other starts. He definitely had good stuff. He lost command of that stuff and threw a lot of pitches in the second inning. I think he threw 26 pitches in that second inning. Also had to kind of adjust to what he had and what was working best. And he was able to do that. But what I was so impressed with in him was, you know, there was no question that he was coming back out for the sixth inning. And when he came out, got into trouble, hits the first batter. Okay, that's not a good way to start that. Bullpen is up. They're going. But then strikes out the side and does so in an at-bat where he needs a strike three and a strike four when a changeup was not called as a strike for strike three that it should have. Just comes back with another changeup, no problem. And then finishes the inning with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball strikeout. Uh, just absolutely, um, you know, just just dominant in those innings that he was on. I think it's the best way to put that. You're always going to want seven innings out of your guy. You're never going to get seven innings every time out of any guy. So this is one of those outings where uh, even though there were little rocky patches in there, he was able to you know, pull it in, get it together, get out of the inning, get to the next inning, and uh, keep uh, you know the Angels off the board and I think on their heels at some, time, at some points too. Shannon, John Morosi was on with Wyman and Bob yesterday and was asked about Mitch Haniger's future in a Mariners uniform. And he said that you know it would make sense for both sides to uh, sign an extension of some kind this offseason, maybe a one- or two-year deal. Uh, Shannon, when you look at, at Mitch Haniger's future with the Mariners, obviously he's a free agent after this season. Do you think that it would make sense for him to return considering, I mean, you look at the Mariners outfield next year, Julio is an obvious lock to be there. Jesse Winker, maybe not so much as big of a lock, but outside of those two guys, there are quite a lot of question marks with the Mariners outfield in 2023. Well, that's why I think there's a case to be made for it. Uh, I think a couple of months ago, you would have said, said there's no way that that happens. I mean, obviously they built up, there's no room in that outfield for him, but 
Uh, you know, Kelnick has not come along the way that they had hoped he would, and it's going to require some more time. That's why I like when you say, I don't think he would do a one-year deal. I, I'm not sure he would do I think Mitch Hanniger obviously is going to want to try free agency, but I think that with the time that he has missed, I'm not sure what that market is going to be. And he's playing for that right now, and he is playing very well, which might help that market. So I don't know that he could he would sign an extension by the end of the year. I think he's going to want to see what is out there. But if that market for any reason is cool, uh, I think then that would be a nice fit for the Mariners in exactly what you did say. The outfield is not what we expected it would be at this point. It appears that there is a spot open in the outfield. And when Mitch Hanniger is healthy and on the field, uh, the Mariners know, as well as anybody else, I would think, that you know, he is a top offensive player in the league and a difference maker. And the question is going to be, how much do other teams trust that he will stay healthy? And, and pointing out that the majority of his injuries ha- have been almost uh, the freakish sort. Um, and and I, I think it's tough to take a look at him and say that, He's a liability because of one thing or another physically. These things have uh, very little connection. There has been very, it's just, it's been bizarre, a lot of the injuries that he has had. But at the same time, he has played through and he has maintained who he is. And one of the things that I like about him and the internal knowledge that you have about him is you know that his preparation is always going to be elite. You know, he is always going to be seeking out any way to improve himself on the field. You trust who he is as a player and how he gets ready to get out on the field. So again, I would have said that absolutely not. He's in the last year of his contract. That ship has sailed, but a lot has happened since the beginning of the season, both with Hanniger and the team that I I don't think it's completely out of the question, but probably it is something along those lines wouldn't happen until he'd actually tested out free agency. Shannon, last one before we let you go. You mentioned that the major league, major league baseball needs more guys like Haggerty. Do you think he deserves to be an everyday starter in this lineup with all, all that he's done for the team so far? I think we're getting awfully close to that point. I think you're getting a good sample size. I, I certainly want him in the lineup against lefties. And I, I think that, you know, I think he's proven himself against lefties and I think some of it comes down to the composition of your team and what others are doing right now and I think some of these things have to be handled a little bit carefully for now and the future and I don't mean next year but as you get toward September and you know his track record at the big league level is relatively short but I think he does have a decent sample in the time that he has been up um, the second time that he came up and is obviously the hot hand right now and has obviously displayed what he can do, particularly late in games and decisions that he makes. Um, so along those lines, I think that he is somebody that absolutely can help this lineup. I think that uh, we're seeing a greater sample. And, you know, at the very least, you want him late in games. Now, the one thing that people need to realize out there is you can't just put him anywhere that um, you saw a little bit of him at second base last night, but that's pretty much the only place in the infield where you're going to see him. He's not a backup at shortstop, so he can't spell J.P. Crawford. You're not going to see him at third base. You're not going to see him at first base. He's not really an outfielder by trade, although he has played a good amount of outfield in the minor leagues. So I feel pretty good about him in left field, although Dylan Moore is still 
probably your best um, defensive backup in the outfield. So I think he deserves a lot of playing time. Do I just turn around and give him a position right now? I'd have to take a closer look at everything else that you have going on everywhere else and, and go from there. But he certainly is somebody that uh, I look for in the lineup and uh, you enjoy seeing him in there. She's Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider. We appreciate all your analysis, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. You got it, guys. All right, our conversation with Shannon is powered by Pacific Lamp and Supply. Let's get into MLB headlines. This new music? It's uh, it's the Fox Sports thing. Yeah. First time I heard. Okay, let's get into MLB headlines. Got me hyped up right now. (laughs) Fernando Tati Sr. is not happy with the MLB suspension of his son. Why is that? Bear with me. This is what he says. This is catastrophic what has taken place. Not just for Junior, but for all of baseball. There are millions of fans who are going to stop watching baseball now. It's a total disappointment for Dominican fans. Fans throughout the world. For something so insignificant, it wasn't worth it. It's typical. We came out positive in Junior's body. It's something that doesn't give you strength, first of all. Doesn't amplify your weight training regimen. <laughs> that second. Doesn't have any testosterone. <laughs> That's third. Doesn't contain absolutely anything that would give you an edge in the game. What has happened is a catastrophe for baseball passion right there okay uh, <laughs> fernando senior it is not baseball's fault that your son got suspended it is your son's fault that he got suspended like let's let's stop it right there yeah baseball is simply enforcing the rules that have been in place for quite some time now it is not your son's fault or it, it, it is your it is entirely <laughs> your son's fault for that and if there were questions about the substance that he was taking, run it by somebody within the organization. Come That's on. all he had to do. Easy. But as we know, Fernando has not. Fernando Jr. has not really been a team guy uh, in his short major league career, uh, especially based off of what we've heard from his teammates in that Padres clubhouse. Uh, this was entirely avoidable. Sorry, Fernando Sr., but... It's all on your boy. It's all on your boy. He has all the resources in the world. Don't feel bad for him. He's still going to get paid. In related news, the Padres have scrapped a Fernando Tatis Jr. bobblehead night on September 7th in favor for a Juan Soto jersey night. Not a bad switcheroo if you ask me, Rogers. (laughs) What do they do with those bobbleheads, though? There's probably a warehouse full of like 20,000 bobbleheads (laughs) of Fernando Tatis Jr. Do they save them for next year? Do they give them away? I remember uh, during the 2020 season, the Mariners had all these giveaways ready to go because we all assumed it was going to be a normal season. Then fans weren't allowed in the stands that year. So they had just all these warehouses or this warehouse full of giveaway items. Uh, I think there was a Kyle Seeger bobblehead that was supposed to be given out that year that ended up getting just kind of, uh, I don't know if they gave it away at one point last year, but I remember we got our hands on one here. I was going to say, station. I thought I saw one yeah, in the sports pit. I think so, and it's from the 2020 season, so maybe that makes it a little more collectible. I think they did like a drive-through giveaway one time. I mean, what do you do with that many leftover bobbleheads? You Who save them the or give them away. Them? Save yeah. them or give them away. Give them yeah. away to the kids, man. Give them away <laughs> to the kids. All right, Bryce Harper po- posted on his IG a picture of him taking BP on Monday. He's been out since fracturing his thumb on June 25th. All I remember from that is him looking at the picture and yelling, I know you didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> 
there, there's got to be a, a hidden meaning behind him posting a picture of him taking batting practice, He's especially ready. on August 16th, especially with Philly uh, still in the in the thick of it in the National League wild card race. I think he comes back. Bryce Harper is so competitive. He's he's not somebody that's going to take this season lying down. He was dealing with the elbow injury this earlier this season that forced him to DH the rest of the way, which he was already mad about because he wanted to play in the field. But when you can't throw, what what good are you in the field? Yeah. Uh, so I think this is him saying like, uh, expect me back sometime soon. It's which, coming. Look, baseball is way better with Bryce Harper playing. Sure is. Sure is. The pitching matchup of the year is tonight. Houston Justin Verlander, 15-3, ERA, will face White Sox ace Dylan Cease. Cease and desist. Cease and desist, 12-5 with a 1.96 ERA. Wow. It amazes me how old Verlander is and how good he still is, especially after the surgery that he just had. I mean, goodness gracious. 39 years old, basically has spent the last two seasons away from baseball. He made yeah. one start in the 2020 year, missed all of 2021. He's back, and he's better than what he was prior to the surgery. Ryan Roland Smith, before the season, we I think we had him on the air on this show, and I asked him who his Cy Young favorite was or, or something like that, and he said it was Justin Verlander, really? which at the time was bizarre to hear because – he had spent a couple of years away from the game. Like, what? what is he going to be like coming back? He's the same as he ever was, if not better. Well, as our, our board up, Brady said, he goes, look, he's pitching with an 18-year-old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm happy you remembered me when I said that one. He's <laughs> got yes. a brand new elbow. You just think of the combination. You've got a professional pitcher with all that experience, and then you give him an 18-year-old's elbow. You pretty much gave him a new life. <laughs> yeah. Gave him a new life. It's fun to see, just not against the um, the Mariners. Yeah. Don't want to see that against And it them. feels like Verlander's starts have all come against the Mariners. It does. Year. I think he's made six starts against them. There was the one where the Mariners got him real good mm-hmm. in the first inning. But outside of that, uh, Verlander's definitely had the Mariners' numbers. But big ups to the scheduling gods. We don't have to see Houston We're the done. rest of the way. Maybe not even in the playoffs. We're Who knows? done with that noise. Done with it. All right. That was MLB Headlines. What's on tap? Powered by Madden Industrial Craftsman. The Mariners take on the Angels in game two or three tonight in Anaheim. The Mariners pregame show starts at 530. First pitch is at 638. Listen here on Seattle Sports 710 and the Seattle Sports app. When we return, we will talk to the skip himself. That is the Scott Service Show. That's coming up next on Bump and Stacy. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. Welcome back to The Dugout with me, Michael Bumpus, and with C Raj. This, we're about to hop into the Scott Server Show now. The Scott Server Show is presented by Pizza Hut with support from Mazda of Everett. Scott, how are we doing? Doing good, Bump. How's everybody in Seattle today? We are doing good. Now, before we talk about all the chaos, I got to ask you a different question. Like, I miss team sports, coach. I miss it. <laughs> so when I see the dugout going nuts after stuff that happened last night, just describe that feeling to me, watching it all go down. Uh, it's, we play so many games, you know, and so much stuff happens throughout the course of the season. And every game kind of takes on its own personality. And last night's game uh, was not the the way we thought it was going to end you know it was kind of a really hard fought game great pitching two starting pitchers and it's a 2-2 game you're headed headed into the ninth inning and 
you're hoping we can put some kind of rally together. And, and we certainly did. I thought, obviously, Sam Haggerty played a huge part uh, in the rally we had going. And then we had some crazy plays happen that you just don't see happen too often. And, you know, the guys are pretty fired up in the dugout, as we should have been. I thought we ran the bases really well. We, you know, we forced the action and, and we took advantage of some mistakes that the Angels made. And we're lucky to come out with a win last night. But it was a fun game. Great way for it to end. But it wasn't headed. I did not think it was going to end that way. That's for sure. Skip Bump and I have kind of ran through uh, some of your guys' craziest wins this season. There's you know games against the Blue Jays, the A's with the two wild pitches, just last week with the Yankees in that 13-inning affair, and then last night. What is it about your ball club in those moments where things tend to break down or, or things get chaotic, where it, it feels like the game slows down for you guys and you're able to just kind of look at it from a, from a 30,000-foot view and take control of the games in those situations. I think, you know, we've played in so many of these types of games over the last couple of years that when you, you know, it's tied or maybe you're down by a run or up by a run in the, in the eighth or ninth inning, our guys are very comfortable being in those spots where we understand, you know, that we're going to have to have some good at bats and, and execute and figure out a way to, to pull it out. But there's really no panic amongst our group. And I think that's a, a tribute to our players, obviously. And the fact that we, you know, we play in a ton of these games. So, you know, as the game last night is is playing out and I'm looking at it from about the fourth inning on, I can kind of see where this is headed. This is going to come down to a bullpen game. Uh, and lucky for us, our bullpen has been outstanding, you know, all year long. And our guys did a great job again last night. And, you know, they keep the other team at bay. It allows our offense to get something going. And, and most times we're able to get it done. Scott, what are your thoughts on um, Julio's home run that wasn't? I watched it on TV. That ball seemed to disappear behind the foul pole. What was that conversation like with um when you walked out there? Well, it was kind of weird. You know, the first uh, the base ump called it fair, and then you know the umpire crew gets together, which is typically what they do to make sure they get the call right uh, before it goes to review. And then you know the home plate umpire flipped it, and he called it foul, which you know it's going to go to review anyway. But oftentimes, you know when it goes to review, it's, it's the call on the field that they're looking to overturn. So it was actually kind of a big deal that he flipped it to foul before they went to review. So if they had left it at fair and then they did not have, you know, significant evidence to overturn it, it would have stayed as a fair ball and a home run. So the fact that they changed the, the call on the field, I know that's what they're supposed to do to get together. Really where the dugouts are here in Anaheim, it's really, I have no really viewpoint or vantage point to see it I'm trying to run up to the top step because you can't even see the corner or the foul pole uh, at the fence line, you know, where I'm sitting. So, you know, you're hoping they get it right in review. I don't think they did get it right in review, which is frustrating, yeah. uh, you know, that they don't have the right camera angles to get that done, but it was not easy. It was right there. The ball was slicing away. And unfortunately Julio didn't get the, didn't get the call going his way. There was some other crazy stuff going on in the game, too. Specifically in that ninth inning, Carlos Santana awarded first base on ball three. Did did you or anyone else in the dugout notice that the umpires may have gotten their accounts mixed up? Well, I think, you know, when it all went down to the, the pitch that Sam stole, the second pitch where Haggerty stole third base. And, um, you know, when a guy's stealing like that, oftentimes you have to go back and check with the umpire. Did he call it a strike or a ball? And, you know, we did, I didn't really think about it until Carlos stepped out um, on the 2-2 pitch, and he said, that's 3-1, and quickly I started barking. Of course, it's 3-1. I really quite wasn't sure. I wasn't sure either, to <laughs> tell you the truth, but I trust our players, and, um, you know, the umpire flipped it around, and 
you know, after it was playing out, you know, other people on our bench, they were like, well, it was a ball. And I'm like, I think he called it a strike. and wasn't quite sure. So we got the advantage there and, and we took advantage of it, um, you know, with the next pitch being ball four and, and Carlos walking, which really allowed us to, to create a bigger inning that maybe would have been there otherwise. Scott, throughout the year, you um, you guys have struggled with some injuries, right? It felt like you've been forced to play um, a couple of guys when you didn't necessarily didn't really want to. But now with guys being healthy, is it harder to piece together a lineup with a bunch of options or not a lot of options? I think what you've seen, you know, we're able to to mix up our lineups on a daily basis, try to give some guys a day off, you know, maybe when they need it. And more importantly, the, the it's really solidified our bench. You know, the number of guys and options I have to make late inning substitutions or maybe matchups uh, right versus left at the plate or to put in defense or speed, things like that. So, um, you know, getting – relatively healthy getting our guys back has allowed us to have a much deeper bench and it gives me and then our coaching staff more options later in the game to to substitute guys in or whatnot so it's a good problem to have and we've created you know guys have taken advantage of the opportunities you know sam haggerty certainly at the top of the list and what he's been able to do and we'll continue to, to put him in there i think sam's at his best when he plays maybe two out of three games and you know then you know i could use him off the bench in that other game but seems like every game he's in right now, he, he does something to impact the game, whether it's uh, the bases defensively, getting a big hit, hit the home run once in a while. So he's been fun to watch. Skip, since we last had you on, we've seen Chris Flexen get moved to the bullpen. I want to know from you, what's kind of the chain of command when a decision like that is made? Is it is it somebody on the coaching staff saying, hey, I think this would be beneficial for us, and they present it to the front office? Is it the front office that comes down to you guys? How does a decision like that get made? Because it feels like multiple people have to sign off on it. Oh, yeah. no, We're constantly collaborating, myself, our pitching coaches with – our front office group, um, you know, trying to look ahead, you know, matchups, how our personnel plays best and how it fits together. And I think, you know, ultimately that's how this decision was made is that, you know, you look at all the assets we have on the pitching side and how does the, those 13 guys fit best together and, and what roles do they fit in? So that's what we're looking at there. And, you know, as I told Flex, you know, when I explained it to him, there's a good chance Chris Flexen is going to start some games for us here before the season's over. I would be shocked if he didn't. But for the moment in time we're in right now, we thought it was best to go that route. And it may change. Um, you know, we've got some young starters in our rotation that may need a blow. Uh, based on matchups, teams we're seeing, how that all lays out ahead of us. But, again, we're in this moment in time, and that's what we thought was best to do. But everybody chimes in on those decisions. He is Scott Service, the skit for the Seattle Mariners, man. We appreciate you taking time, Scott. No problem, guys. Take care. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, so I asked him about having options now, and I would assume it, it makes it more difficult, right, because you're trying to figure out where to put guys. But it sounds like when you have a formula, he said, look, man, maybe Sam plays two out of three days, boom, boom, boom. Um, it sounds like they have a good thing going, and they kind of understand where and when to put guys in. It's an incredible problem to have at this point in the right. season because normally at this point in the year, you are not at your healthiest. You are normally trying to plug and go as the season goes along. Rarely are you at August 16th, 
able to fill out a full lineup card and not just a full lineup card, but like also have guys on the bench too that can contribute. And your pitching staff is as healthy as it can be. You don't you're not waiting for anybody to come off the injured list right now. You've got guys who have who've gone through the rehab assignments who are back in the lineup. So it, it is a, a tremendous problem to have. Uh, but it also there are also the issues of guys who may or may not have come back a little too early. I, I wonder if Ty France is yeah. one of those guys. I wonder if Julio is one of those guys. But I do think that it is a luxury right now to have as many options as the Mariners do. Always good to have options. This hour of the Bump and Stacy show is brought to you by Mazda of Everett. Don't forget, Seattle Sports has a new name and a new number. Give us a call or send us a text at 866-979-3776. Again, that number is 866-979-3776 for a phone call or text to the Mac and Jack's text line. Update your contacts and stay connected to the latest on Seattle Sports. All right, when we return, we will talk to Gary Hill of the Mariners Radio Network. That's coming up next. This is Bump and Stacy with Michael Bumpus and Curtis Rogers. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. Welcome back to The Dugout with Curtis Rogers and Michael Bumpus. That's me. Now we got Gary Hill joining us. Gary, how we doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. I just want to start off this by saying go Cougs. And um, <laughs> yes. whenever we can show some Coug love, we got to do it. <laughs> so I got to take Absolutely. this opportunity. Hey, Gary, thoughts on last night's game? I'm, I'm watching this all go down. You got two just dominant pitchers up there. And, and at points, they didn't really have their stuff, but they're so good. They find a way to get back into the groove. Um, why are the Mariners always so calm, cool, and collected in situations like this? Well, last night was pretty wild. That was amazing. Uh, what helps is their pitching depth. Uh, we knew going into the ball game that you had two aces going toe to toe, and it really played out that way. And you, you were right; they neither of them were perfect last night, of course, but both are so good, and especially in key situations with runners aboard. So the game through the first seven, eight innings played out, I think, how I expected it to. Low scoring, runs were hard to come by. What helps the Mariners and why they've been so good, you look at the last two years, they have the most one-run wins and the highest winning percentage in one-run games. And to me, the common thread between last year and this year has been the bullpen. They have a great bullpen. And I think it speaks to what you're talking about is you can, you can do that. You can wait teams out when you have a bullpen that throws up zeros. We see it all the time. And last night is a great example. Uh, you can take it for granted because they give you three scoreless innings and it gives the offense a chance to just find a way, try and scratch out a run. If you're behind by a run or two, gives the offense a chance to get three on the board and win a game. If it's a tight score, they throw up zeros, and eventually the offense finds a way. And we've seen it, especially with Castillo games so far. The best example being the game against the Yankees where it took 13 innings to make it happen, but it eventually did. And to me, a lot of the credit goes to the bullpen. If you look since uh, June 21st, first day of summer, the Mariners have the best record in the American League. And not a coincidence, the Mariners have the best bullpen ERA, the best whip, the lowest hard hit rate. Just go down the list. They have been elite in the bullpen, and that's been a huge part of this whole thing. 
Gary, where does last night's improbable finish rank on your list of improbable finishes this season? Because <laughs> the Mariners have sure had their hand. They've sure had a handful of them. Yeah, it feels like we should have some sort of ranking going. I don't. I don't know where this ranks. I do feel like Matt Nelson, who was on the board last night, or board up legend. <laughs> I felt like if he just would have played circus music in the ninth inning as that thing was unfolding, <laughs> it would have been completely warranted and appropriate. That thing was wild. I have never seen a team in complete meltdown like that. And there's bad plays, right? And it happens to every team. But <laughs> three in a row, all involving home plate, it was unbelievable just how that whole thing unfolded. Lefty facing Julio, too, was an interesting choice, I thought, from the Angels. There was so much going on there. It took me I, all last night after the game. I was just reflecting on exactly what just happened. Did, did I see what I thought I saw? And, yeah, as it turned out, yeah. And I don't know where it ranks, but it's up there. There's no doubt. Gary, for the second time in maybe a week, I feel like Julio got robbed of a home run. You know, I watched the PJ Tour, and they can track a golf ball 400 yards down a fairway, but for some reason we can't get it right when it comes to uh, technology and, and identifying home runs. Did you feel like that was a home run or it wasn't? So in real time, it was from our angle, it was really hard to tell. I had some conversations with some TV folks and some Mariner folks after the game, and I, I'm not sure anyone had a 100% conclusion either way. Uh, and part of it, I, I got in all these in-depth TV conversations about cameras and quality of cameras and how they're different at every single ballpark, and maybe at a different park you could get a better angle and a better shot. So part of it was just, bad luck that it was at that park near that pole, that sort of thing. I don't really have a clear, I don't know. I don't know if it was fair or foul. I really don't. Uh, I think it was foul in the conversations I've had, but I'm not sure anyone is 100% either way. So Gary, Gary, that helps. I know that doesn't help at all. Gary, no answer. Gary, it was fair. Gary, it was fair. Was it it fair? (laughs) I don't know. I'll go with that. That's fine with me. I called it fair, so in my mind, it will always be fair. <laughs> that's that's all that matters. in the system somewhere. We can just replay it, and I'll pretend <laughs> that it happened. Gary, when you look at, at Luis Castillo and what he has given to this Mariner team each time he's been out there, I mean, he is just – you can see why he was so hyped. You can see why the Mariners had to give up what they gave up for him. Uh, I mean, in your years watching Mariners baseball – where does he fall in terms of starting pitching that you've watched? Because, I mean, obviously we've seen the best of the best here, Randy Johnson, Felix Hernandez. Um, but, I mean, we're only three starts in. I, I guess you don't want to oversell him too much, but, boy, he has looked just phenomenal each time out. Well, he is phenomenal. He's an ace. He's a true ace. And we've only seen him for three starts in a Mariners uniform, but he has a track record. He's, he's a real guy. Uh, he's been an all-star in the past. And the thing that I've tried to stress with people the most is he was pitching in a bad situation in Cincinnati in that it's a very difficult ballpark to pitch in. Home runs are easy to come by in Cincinnati. And the defense this year for the Reds was bad. I mean, they were one of the worst defenses in baseball. So you transition to a better park, you transition to a better defense. The Mariners Depending on how you look, they're a top 10 defense. That's a big difference. The stuff is off the charts. It is overwhelming. He is ridiculous. The two fastballs that dart different ways in the upper 90s, the changeup, 
it's familiar looking. I know Mariner fans, it looks like the Felix changeup with the movement and the speed, the slider as well has been devastating this year. He has got it all. He also has the presence. He is for real. He is an ace. You love having him at the top. And you look at it now with Castillo and Ray and Gilbert, however you line it up, that's a 3-4 that matches up with anybody in the American League. The Mariner fans should feel phenomenal about that. I am looking forward to Castillo not facing another ace at some point. He's faced Cole, Cole, and Otani. At some point, he won't face another best pitcher in baseball. So we'll see what that looks like at some point. Got about a minute here, Gary. When I say Sam Haggerty, what do you think? Uh, national treasure, I think, uh, <laughs> like everyone else. Uh, yeah, you know, he's the greatest. I think every team, every good team needs a Sam Haggerty because he can give you so much. Plays any kind of position. When he's hot, you just ride the hot hand in the lineup. He can come off the bench, swipe you a bag. He can run. You have to have players like that. And when you look at good teams, teams that make the postseason, there are always guys on that roster that you're getting contributions, big contributions from that you did not expect. And Sam Haggerty is in that group. Penn Murphy's in that group. Guys that are playing pivotal roles for this team as they head down the stretch. And I am all in on Haggerty and just igniting chaos every time he's on the field. I felt like he could have kept rounding the bases last night, and the Angels just would have kept throwing the ball around. He just could have kept circling over and over and over, and he would have scored a million runs. I love it. Well, that's Gary Hill of Mariners Radio Network on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. We appreciate you, man. Thanks, Gary. Anytime, guys. Talk to you soon. That is it, folks. Special thanks to Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer, Quentin Jefferson. Who else we have on the show today? Uh, Scott Service on the uh, Scott Service Show. Tomorrow, things are back to normal. Mama Bear is back home. <laughs> Stacy will be running the show. Thank you for bearing with us. I'm Michael Bumpus. That is Curtis Rogers. That has been the Bump and Stacy Show on Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up next, you got Wyman and Bob.